BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to talk again to Mohammed Jalal. You're most welcome, sir. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah, Paul. It's a pleasure to be with you again, Paul. It's great to see you again. You're most welcome. Um, for those who don't remember that you've been on a number of times before, Mohammed is a lecturer in politics in London and hosts the brilliant podcast, The Thinking Muslim. I do recommend this uh, YouTube site. I mean, some fantastic interviews. Um, he also delivers a regular course for young Muslims exploring the thoughts uh, of Islam and liberalism. He writes for numerous online journals, including Traversing Tradition, Muslim Matters and Cage. And he can also be found on Twitter. And I'll uh, link to his Twitter handle in the description below, as well as to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Do do subscribe to both of those if you haven't already. Now, today, uh, Mohammed has kindly agreed to discuss the accusation that's been made recently by a number of people that Muslims are becoming more right-wing. Uh, is this true? Um, are Muslims dangerously flirting with a conservative right? So that's the accusation. Is it true, sir? Over to you. Well, Jazakallah Thank you very much, Paul, for uh, giving me this opportunity. It's always a pleasure to be on Blogging Theology. And uh, I really love the content that you you manage to to create on a on a weekly basis. And it's enriching, I think, the Muslim conversation. And uh, so many Muslims I meet uh, make references to uh, your your great videos and the guests that you have. And uh, I think, you know, it's a it's a, a sign of the uh, the greatness actually that exists within the Muslim community that you can bring so many mm. various experts on 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 so many issues and um, uh, and and yet, alhamdulillah, it doesn't seem that you're running out of content. So, Jazakallah khair. Thank you, thank you very much uh, for for what you do, Paul. Um, so, as you said um, today, I want to talk about or at least present for the first part of today's session. Uh, some thoughts I have on uh, some accusations that have been made or levied against the Muslim community in recent weeks, months and years. 
about uh, the political status of the Muslim community. I've summarized it into the following title or this following question, are Muslims more right? And this is an accusation, if we want to put it like that, uh, that has been levied at the Muslim community, partly because uh, so many Muslims uh, today are exercised uh, at the, the level of sexuality and sexualization uh, that is creeping into, in particular, children's curricula in schools. And as you've seen uh, in the United States, in Canada and in the UK and across Europe, there have been uh, various protests conducted by Muslim community groups uh, uh, protesting against uh, AC and what we see as pretty problematic themes that are finding them finding their way into into the books and to the lessons that young Muslims are subjected to. Uh, mm. In on this opening slide, you see a demonstration which I think was in Michigan, in the United States. And it was a demonstration against uh, one particular state. As you know, the federal system in the United States devolves um, uh, education to uh, the local states. And this particular state decided that they're going to remove the opt-outs uh, when it comes to the teaching of what we call in the UK personal social education, you know, sexual mm -hmm. education. Um, so Muslim parents were suddenly f uh, found themselves in a position where they couldn't remove their children from uh, lessons that they believed were pretty much against uh, their basic moral uh, frameworks. And mm. uh, that was causing a lot of problems uh, and challenges uh, from within the Muslim community or within the Muslim community. And so uh, they uh, began to organize and um, the net effect of that demonstration, like many of these protests that have taken place in here in the UK, we've seen demonstrations in East London and in Birmingham. The net effect of it was that the left were quickly uh, or quickly claimed that Muslims were somehow being uh, utilized by the right in a, in a greater culture war. So we were just mere pawns in, uh, in this rights endeavor uh, to undermine the liberal liberal left. Um, and uh, we've seen a number of uh, pieces written in the last few months, in fact, which I'm going to go into in the next few slides, that discuss what they see to be a growing phenomenon in the Muslim community of right-wing allied Muslims. Um, now, uh, I wrote a couple of articles in response to uh, 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 these these pieces that were were written were penned in, in places like New York Times. So I wrote a piece for Muslim Matters, which I think uh, we had a discussion about and you invited yeah. me onto the show. Yeah, I've read um, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to that. Certainly, it's worth reading. Yeah, yeah. And, and also I put a, I wrote an article, in fact, a response to Shadi Hamid, uh, who wrote a piece about Muslims uh, becoming more right-wing and, and about the liberal neutral state. Um, and I, uh, that was an article that was published on my Substack. So if you want to access that article, just go to this link here. And I, you know, I think, alhamdulillah, I mean, Shadi responded to it and, and you know, he appreciated the, the points I raised and we, we had a good uh, discussion on, um, on social media and, and you know, we, we promised to, to engage uh, on this subject in greater detail in the future. So that, that was very, very positive in a sense. So here's what I want to address today. I want to really talk about the accusation, the reality that we are confronted with, and that is that wider left-wing society 
accuses the Muslims of becoming more right wing. And the, and the, the flashpoint is really uh, the prevalence of LGBTQ lessons in Muslim schools to which Muslims are not allowed to question. So I want to first talk about that reality and, uh, uh, and the left wing response to it. Then I want to have a quick, you know, very quickly explain what is right wing and left wing and maybe how we can as Muslims sometimes misunderstand what it means to be a left wing and right wing. And so often uh, we can characterize our positions, in particular our traditional positions on Islam, to be conservative positions. Now, of course, that's not a problem in, in per se. You know, we use the language that is available. But of course, conservatism or at least conservative positions are, uh, are a, a, or the label conservatism comes from a uh, comes with a lot of ideological baggage and i just want to explain that conservatism is broader than say a muslim who holds a traditional view towards marriage for example Um, bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thirdly, I want to talk about liberal multiculturalism and how that works and uh, uh, why is it that Muslims find themselves, in particular, as I said, in, in left-leaning states in the US and actually across Britain, remember it was a conservative co- government of Theresa May that removed the right to opt out of these uh, these problematic lessons in schools. Mm. So why do we find ourselves in a position where we're constantly uh, in tension with the liberal state? And um, um, where is that going to lead? And I'll give you some of my thoughts about that. And lastly, um, which was the latter part of the article, the Muslim Matters article, I, I, I make, made reference to my discussions uh, through the Thinking Muslim podcast, my discussions with uh, Muslim leaders in America and Britain, and how I feel that many Muslim leaders, in particular religious leaders and, and political activists, are trying to move away from this left-right paradigm and uh, are adopting a more political independent stance when it comes to uh, wider society. Um, so I hope to get through these four points as as, uh, as swiftly as I can. And as you know, uh, I tend to use these presentations as, as ways by which I can remember what I have to say. But also, please do, if, if at any point I'm just repeating myself, Paul, you know, please do... Um, uh, okay. to, to pull me up on that. So let's talk about the accusation, the argument that Muslims are moving towards the right. Um, so there have been a series of articles uh, that have, uh, that have uh, suggested that Muslims are becoming more right-wing. Now, these articles mainly uh, 
are based in the US. So these articles come out of the US and they suggest that the war on terror and the waning of the war on terror, the rhetoric that was pretty hostile after 9-11, that rhetoric has somewhat dissipated over the last five years. Um, and we can see that uh, in American society in particular, but also here in the UK, the uh, the spotlight that Muslims were subjected to after 9-11, well, that spotlight is somewhat diminished. And uh, as the West now focus on uh, great power enemies like Russia and China, uh, Muslims are, are less likely to be uh, vilified in the press. Now, I'm, over, I'm you know, potentially exaggerating there. Of course, we still yeah. see... And I, I, think, I think, yeah, as you're going to say, in the US, that may very well be the case. But in places mm. like France, and not mm. just France, in Europe, mm. that, that probably wouldn't be the case. Uh, the point about the war on terror receding may be true mm. or not, but, but it may be, there are other, um, you know, um, issues that are now bearing down on Muslims in, in France, particularly, anyway. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, just think about the Quran burning in Sweden and, and the, the horrible uh, rhetoric that's come out of Sweden. I think the Europeans are are slow to, and that's, and that's partly, by the way, because the Europeans have been very uh, reluctant to confront China uh, as the Americans would want them to. Uh, mm. The Americans have now, uh, their, um, their rhetoric has moved away from uh, what was a uh, you know what, what were terrorist groups, so-called terrorist groups, and and uh, uh, problems with with Islam as a as a religion, and they've now moved on to these great powers. Uh, but there is a reluctance here in Europe to embrace that American narrative. Uh, but it's it's you know slowly getting there. Uh, the argument goes that um, the war on terror rhetoric is somewhat dissipating, and in its and as a result of that. Muslims uh, find themselves in a more independent uh, or in an atmosphere which is uh, less intense. And they are, uh, as a result, they are uh, adopting positions uh, which are not, which for the last 20 years are positions that they did not hold uh, politically. Let me explain that. Um, but 9-11 uh, was, uh, was an intense, uh, you know, as I said, very intense for Muslims, and Muslims were subject to this very deep securitization. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the left, the liberal left in particular, the socialist left, the progressives, uh, they embraced the Muslim community and uh, they helped the Muslim community to navigate some of uh, these complexities, some of these challenges. And so for nigh on 20 years, uh, the Muslims have been uh, indebted, I, I suppose, in inverted commas, to the left for helping them when Trump wanted to ban Muslim countries. The left came out to help Muslims, and um, and as a result of that, many Muslim leaders overlooked some of the excesses and the problems that come from the left because they did not want their allies uh, to desert them. Um, now that uh, intense atmosphere has declined, and as a result, Muslim leaders find themselves more open to subject the left uh, to, the, to, to questions about, uh, about some of their social stances. Mm. And I suppose what Wajahad Ali, who's a liberal uh, uh, journalist, for, he writes for the New York Times, what he captured was this change in mood or change in atmosphere in the Muslim community. However, what would, and I think he's right in that analysis of the Muslims in America, However, he goes. He 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 uh, he then says that the reason why Muslims are now 
uh, are now raising issues such as LGBTQ lifestyles and, and you know, what Muslim children are being taught in schools, it's because those Muslims are being inspired by white supremacists. They're being inspired by a broader culture war, which the Trump Republican right is waging. And Muslims have sort of been caught up in this, in this dragnet. And, uh, and so they're, they're, will, they're unwilling or willing pawns in this greater political game. And that's what I contest, and that's what I'm going to be contesting today. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, 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 my new response is that that just denies agency to Muslims. We're, we're, exactly. Muslims are just passive uh, pawns uh, to be used like chess pieces. It, it's quite insulting, uh, uh, actually, to, to, to Muslims, denying them agency in their own actual views, which have been held for 1,400 years. Um, and so um, that, that is a surprising claim, actually. And the idea that Muslims should somehow be inspired by white supremacists is laughable. For sure. I mean, Wajahad was actually ridiculed, even by uh, some in the left, who said, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, we know that Islam has a position on this, uh, and that position is a very traditional position. So how can you claim that somehow the, the right are instigators? In fact, many of those protests that have taken place in Michigan and elsewhere in the United States and here in the UK, I mean, there's, there were no right-wing uh, people present. In fact, the right, if they did join, they joined rather late in the day uh, once they saw Muslims were taking a stand uh, on these issues. Um, uh, there was an article uh, written in New Lines magazine by Rasha Al-Akidi, uh, who said that, who, and there's a quote from her, she, just, she, she suggested that there was a moral bankruptcy of contemporary Muslim dawah or proselytization in the West. And she sort of knits together Andrew Tate and various other dawah influences and argues that there is this shopping list of right-wing views that are being displayed by these dawah personalities and by these Islamic personalities on social media. And from that, she uh, makes a logical leap or an illogical leap and suggests that, you know, this is all part of a right-wing plot. I engage <laughs> with the editor of, of the magazine, in fact, once the article was written. It's a very lengthy piece. And I, I wrote to him and said, this is pretty ludicrous and, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't uh, stand up. And, and this is not actually the intellectual trend that I see and observe in the Muslim community. And I've, you know, mm -hmm. like you, Paul, I've, I've invited uh, a lot of American and, and UK leaders on my podcast. And, and this is not what I'm getting from them about the trajectory of the Muslim community. And actually, to his credit, he was very open to that, to that discussion. Um, there's also a piece, in fact, a podcast by Shadi Hamid, where he invited an anonymous Muslim onto his podcast, Wisdom of Crowds. And that anonymous Muslim, it's worth listening to. And, and you know, he claimed that LGBT and other moral issues are pushing Muslims closer to alliance with Christian evangelicals and Trumpist conservatives. And uh, his argument was that, um, you know, Muslims need to create these short-term alliances in order to navigate uh, these really choppy waters they find themselves in, these morally uh, degraded waters, I suppose, Muslims find themselves in. And then there's the issue of Ham Hamtramak, and I, I'm sure I've not pronounced that well in, in the same way Americans who come to Britain. Which, I, which I've uh, never heard of this word, actually, so yeah. I think yeah, you can explain it. Yeah. So Hamtramak is a municipality. It's the only Muslim-run municipality in the States, I believe. It's a very small municipality, and uh, Muslims, in effect, have most of the positions on the council. 
Uh, and uh, uh, and of course, America, United States has a very long history of local democracy, unlike actually the United Kingdom, where where it's very centralized still. And mm. so um, this Muslim mayor has enormous powers, or at least has powers uh, in particular to he banned the flying of uh, pride flags and any political emblems on uh, mayoral buildings, on state buildings. Um, and that was taken by the, uh, by the left wing in particular as a betrayal. In fact, the former mayor of Hamtramck uh, said in an article that, you know, this is betrayal by the Muslim community. We helped you in the time of need, and now you're taking away our rights, uh, the right to fly the pride flag over the, the, the town hall. Uh, well, uh, Mayor Amir Ghalib uh, recently had a series of meetings with Michael Flynn. Now, if you remember, Michael Flynn was mm -hmm. national security advisor yeah. under Donald Trump. Uh, he was a an ex he's an ex Free Star Army Lieutenant General, and um, he met with uh, after this incident in Hamtramck. He met with the mayor, and he tried to carve mm -hmm. out some uh, some or an alliance with the Muslim community. And he said some very positive words. Um, this is in contrast, by the way, to his earlier statements. Back in 2016, he said Islam is a political ideology masquerading as a religion. Um, in other words, Islam is like communism. It's this political idea, but, you know, they pretend to be a religion. Uh, he called for the clamping down on religion in America. In fact, it was people like um, uh, Michael Flynn who were behind the, uh, the, the Muslim ban. Uh, yet he today he he, he his uh, words are are very promising, or at least sound very promising for the Muslim community. Uh, you know, he said at this conference about the uh, the uh, the the teaching of uh, problematic uh, curricula in schools. They're going to teach uh, them more pro uh, pornography, force critical race theory. Uh, he said at, at that meeting. Um, so again, we see that there are right-wing overtures towards Muslims, and we shouldn't, uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't paper over that. There are the right have realised that on moral and social issues in particular, Muslims are actually taking a stand more than their Christian counterparts, and Muslims are at the forefront of attending uh, meetings and protesting against school boards and joining school governorships in order to change that trajectory change that uh, horrible situation where Muslim children are being subject at a very early age to mm. just over-sexualization. Mm -hmm. So Muslims came first and then uh, these, these uh, you can say cynically, and I would say cynically, the right have tried to jump on that bandwagon and co-opt Muslims into, into their uh, greater party political game. And I haven't noticed that anywhere in Europe, by the way. I haven't noticed right-wing populist movements in Europe yeah. uh, making overtures to Muslims on the grounds yeah. that they share common causes. On the contrary, uh, they really don't care about Muslims. They just want them out or silenced or marginalised, like in France. So maybe this yeah. is an American thing. I don't know. It, yeah, I think I think so. Um, th there have been a few minor voices in the UK, uh, uh, which which I've True. noticed, but but Tommy, generally Tommy, speaking, Tommy, Rob I think Tommy Robinson comes to mind actually. Well, but, he does. But, yeah, bizarrely making overtures to Muslims, uh, given all that he's all the harm that he's done over the years. Well, exactly, and you know, it's, you know, he's a deeply problematic person. But of course, you know, um, uh, there is a as as you know, I suspect in many ways he's echoing uh, the movement in uh, with the American right. Um, now, uh, 
these commentators also point out Andrew Tate, who of course became a Muslim, and uh, they argue that a lot of his positions, in particular his positions towards uh, manhood and towards you know uh, 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 towards men showing their masculinity, they frame these positions uh, under a right wing banner. Now, many of these positions may or may not be right wing. I mean, you know, I think uh, these positions predate, as we know, uh, the right, and and Islam has a very clear. Uh, position on the Muslim male and his responsibility towards the household and towards the family, which some of which uh, people like Andrew Tate echo. Now, by the way, uh, I don't buy this argument that just because Andrew Tate has become a Muslim, uh, that he's no longer subject to to scrutiny. I mean, I think there are still very problematic positions he holds socially, and um, on his social media, he uh, he still conveys or portrays uh, a level of fahisha of, of of, uh, of problematic positions, which I think Muslims uh, should call out and say, this is not what we want our young Muslim men to be subject to. But I don't want to focus on that today. What I want to focus on is an interview he gave with Tucker Carlson. Now, Tucker Carlson, of course, I'll come back to him later, has uh, for years, he's been at the forefront of Islamophobia in America, of Islam hatred, really, in America. But he's found that uh, in recent years, in weeks and months, uh, his position towards Muslims have somewhat uh, has somewhat been uh, uh, been diluted, uh, and uh, in this interview, he spoke about Andrew Tate's faith, and mm. um, uh, Andrew. They talked about migration. In fact, Andrew Tate's uh, uh, said something deeply problematic. You know, third world migrants that come to Europe would import high testosterone men uh, who would act as fearsome predators in an emasculated West. Now, I find that very problematic, and it, it sort of echoes that great replacement theory narrative that somehow Muslims who are coming to these countries, because they, they have this, this deep sense of masculinity, uh, they're replacing the stock of men who have now been emasculated in the West. And they probably have, but emasculated in the West. And that, that's part of this greater left-wing plot uh, to somehow you know change the... Uh, the demographics of of the West and and to have compliant left wing voters, right? If you know a bit about that, uh, uh, the Great Replacement Theory narrative, um, you know he was playing to that narrative. And Tucker Carlson was gushing in his praise really? uh, for for that anti immigration position. Uh, Carlson, by the way, recently last Sunday visited Utica in Macomb County, and again, I may not be pronouncing those right. Um, where he said that he was more supportive of observant Muslims than the Episcopal church leaders, which he called pagans. And he was uh, an, uh, an Episcopal uh, church. He grew up in, in this church. And he said it's basically wicked. And it's like paganism. And he, he said like, he respected Muslims who prayed five, five times a day. Now, this is the same Tucker Carlson, who in 2006 called the Iraqi citizens semi-literate primitive monkeys. And uh, he called the Afghans, uh, he said that they could never be a civilized country because the people weren't civilized. In fact, back in 2008, during the election campaign, uh, the Obama election campaign, he said if there were a Democrat to come out in 2008 and say, you know what the problem is, it's Islamic extremism, it's not terror, it's not some, you know, indefinable threat out there. It's these lunatic Muslims who are behaving like animals, and I'm going to kill as many of them as I can if you elect me. If a Democrat were to say that, he would be elected king 
Okay, so you know, uh, the if the Democrats came out and said we want to kill as many Muslims as possible, then that Democrat is a good Democrat according to Tucker Carlson. Well, this is the Tucker Carlson who has a litany of hatred towards Muslims and Fox News. He's now done an about turn supposedly, and and he's uh, he's he he speaks favorably at least. Uh, with reservations favorably towards uh, towards Muslims. So I suppose the question is, with all this so-called positivity, are Muslims moving in that right-wing direction? So let me say a few words about what it, what it means to be right-wing. What is the right-wing? When we say someone is right and someone is left, what do we mean by that? And I'm going to go through this quite quickly. In fact, I remember on, a, on an earlier show, we did speak a lot about uh, the right and the left. So I'm not going to concentrate too much on this, but just to just to say a few words on this slide. Uh, of course, the, the term right wing and left wing really comes about after the French Revolution in the 18th century, and it developed out of the position, the positioning of uh, of the the various parties uh, uh, in uh, the Parliament. So those who were pro a king who were loyal to the monarchy, uh, who believed in tradition, they t sat on the right uh, uh, of the speaker. And those who were against that, who were, who were liberal, they sat on the left. So right wing became an idea associated or became a notion associated with conservatism. And conservatism uh, was the belief that, um, you know, we see that here in the UK, if you think about uh, Edmund Burke, if you think about Thomas Hobbes, it's the belief that um, uh, there is a need to conserve the past, in particular some of the institutions that uh, build the, the social fabric of society, the church, the monarchy, uh, the, in, in the case of, of, um, uh, of Hobbes, you know, feudalism, in the case of... Um, um, Tom, uh, Edmund Burke, he talked about the little platoons, you know, the idea that we need to preserve community. This was the conservative position. And the liberal position was characterized as, as a more revolutionary position. It was a position that wanted to dismantle the monarchy and dismantle uh, uh, aspects of institutions that held uh, modern society back. Um, so typically today, the left wing would be characterized as, as a broad spectrum. Uh, so anarchists and communists and socialists and democratic socialists, the Labour Party, for example, social democrats, left libertarians like the Green Party, progressives, uh, as you can see, the left of the, the progressives in the Democratic Party, uh, uh, the, the social liberals. These are all lumped in the left wing, whereas political scientists they argue that the right wing would be traditional conservatives, libertarian conservatives, neoconservatives, ultra-conservatism, right libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, monarchists, fascists, and reactionaries. These are all lumped in the right wing. <clears throat> and, and the reason why I'm pointing oh, well, this uh, out... Uh, yeah. just, to, just to be slightly provocative, I guess, yes. uh, in that list of the right, uh, you've got fascists, but the classification of national socialists, i.e. Yeah. Nazis as right wing is arguably contestable because yeah. a lot of Hitler's policies are actually left wing and explicitly socialist. That's why the flag is red in part because it's a, but it's meant to be a nationalistic kind of socialism. So I, 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 I mean, I'm just quibbling here just no. for the sake of it, but, uh, yeah. uh but anyway, <laughs> really no, it's a good point. It's a, it's a very good point. And, um, 
Uh, and, and in fact, as you see today, many who are on the right, in particular in the United States, actually do hold positions which are very anti-capitalist. And these are positions that wouldn't sound, look odd in, you know, an, a forum with Norm Chomsky, for example. Mm. Um, so it's not very easy. And, and actually, political scientists do say this, that uh, it's not, you know, these left-right positions, um, they may be general positions. But actually, when you dig deeper, you will find that uh, there are inherent contradictions in, in, you know, in what people actually do. And 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 these political spectrum positions, but yeah. but yeah, for you know, for the for for general, for a, a general perspective, the left wing would be regarded yeah. as as you know uh, as those progressives and social democrats, and the right wing, as I said, the conservatives. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because liberalism has gone through a number of iterations since its early formation in the seventeenth. Uh, and 18th centuries. Uh, my point that I'm going to make here is that when we talk about the liberal left and the conservative right today, we're not really talking about the conservative and the left in, uh, in the 18th century after the French Revolution, because most of the conservatives we refer to today are actually uh, small L liberals. Yes. In the sense that these conservatives have appropriated many of the liberal positions that their forebears were against. Yeah. Um, so uh, if we think about Edmund Burke, you know, as an early proponent of conservatism uh, or, um, you know, or, or Thomas Hobbes, Edmund Burke uh, initially had a position which was uh, very much against uh, the, uh, the industrialization and, and the formation of, of urban capitalism. I mean, Benjamin Disraeli, the conservative prime minister in the UK, uh, he was very averse to and he saw the, the, the social challenges that capitalism brought. But within time, the conservatives uh, appropriated uh, that, uh, those positions and adopted it as their own. Right. And, and actually, the conservatives you see today, like the Republican Party, and you know, again, this is very much a, a, an American position, but the Republican Party... Uh, very much adopt the classical liberal position on on many on many issues, um, mm. and the modern uh, liberals. So those uh, who uh, who today live within the, uh, the the Democrats or in the UK, most of the Labour Party today could be uh, could be regarded as as uh, as 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 liberal. I mean, Tony Blair was certainly a liberal in in many ways. These uh, uh, positions, these left-leaning positions, are what we call modern uh, liberal or social liberalism. Let me say that in, in, a, in a more easier way to digest. Um, there are, in effect, two strands of liberalism. I, I'm, mm. I'm oversimplifying this, but two strands of liberalism that emerge over the last two or three centuries. You've got a classical liberalism that believes in freedom and individualism and mm. believes in a neutral state and believes in a minimal state. And then you've got modern liberals who, of course, believe in individualism and believe in equality, but they also believe that the state has a responsibility of, to nourish and to develop equality in society. And that means that sometimes the state has to take a position which isn't neutral. Um, and so you have these conflicting views. And, and of course, uh, classical liberals will regard modern liberals uh, um, as, like John Rawls, uh, would regard Rawls to be 
someone who has innovated and and has has reared away from uh, the the classical precepts of liberalism. And modern liberals would say, well, we're just doing what liberals should do. We're, we're um, as time goes on, we're embracing uh, tweaks to liberalism in order to uh, in order to uh, uh, establish, you know, uh, the types of equalities that early liberalism wanted to e to establish. Now, there is a newer strand of liberalism, which which again I, I may refer to later, called progressivism, which is a, it's a sort of more extreme form of liberalism. Progressives developed came about after the 1960s, and they uh, uh, particularly focus on the politics of recognition. They embrace uh, liberal multiculturalism. They embrace. Uh, you know, in particular, sexual uh, morality, and and they call upon the state, or sexual immorality rather, and call upon the state to protect um, uh, those you know uh, those feminist or those hard won rights that uh, many women got in the 1960s. In particular, if you think about Roe v. Wade and uh, abortion rights, this was championed by the the new modern liberals, the progressives. Uh, and as we as time goes on, the, the progressive causes become greater. And so today, progressivism uh, is the protector of trans rights. Um, so there, actually, there is a debate between the modern liberals and the progressives over trans rights. Many modern liberals say that it's gone too far now. Um, and trans rights uh, is a anathema to women's rights and you know we've, we've yeah. got a somewhat Cause you, cause um, some of these uh so-called people on the right who are criticizing this are actually liberals hmm. but they're old-fashioned liberals but confusingly they're now seen as coming from the right but they're not really because they, they they're if you look at their uh their their philosophy their worldview is based on autonomy and individualism and yeah personal choice these are classic liberal values so it's not really right-wing at all they're not in the classical sense of a right-wing position going back to the french revolution you get the left and the right there about order on the right and yeah. conservative values on the right and so on and monarchy this has nothing to do with the right the liberalism at all as it is sorry yeah. modern modern iterations of so-called right-wing views that this is simply yeah. classical liberalism dressed up in a new guise guise yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's more, by the way, you know, Barry Weiss is, a, is an example and the progressives call Barry Weiss a right winger, but she's actually mm. a modern liberal. You know, she, right. she's a, uh, a, you know, a cosmopolitan liberal who believes in, you know, most of the sen most of the uh, ideals of, of modern liberals. But because she has a position on, you know, on trans rights, for example, you know, she, she's now been counseled by those progressives. Um, my uh, my I suppose my my point here is uh, that there are three distinct strands you can call them of liberalism that we have to contend with in the West: classical, social mm. liberalism, and and these progressive strand. But all of these strands come under uh, liberalism, and uh, the modern Republican Party in the United States and some elements of the Conservative Party in Britain, the Thatcherite element, you know, these are what we call neoliberals. They've gone back to classical liberalism and embraced and adopted some of those ideas that they that, that conservatives in the past rejected they've embraced them that's why by the way uh, some conservatives i mean peter hitchens comes to mind argues that most of the conservative parties now in the west have just given up on conservatism they're no longer actually conservative parties oh, no, i'm sure he's right i mean hitchens himself is a conservative but he yeah. is 
what I would call a real conservative, yes. not basically a liberal who's just called a right winger or something. So, yeah. no, I think yeah. he's a traditional Christian um, conservative person. Yeah. yeah. And he, he has a healthy respect. He has, he, he has said some things in the past which mm. shows healthy respect for you know, having Muslim neighbors, for example. He said, I'd much oh. rather have Muslims and neighbors than some other kinds of people because he knows they're going to be honest. He knows their values. They're going to be good neighbors. They're going to be godly people and so on. And this is coming from a, a true conservative Christian. Uh, spokesman uh, Peter Hitchens. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you know, and and it, you know, again, there are some things he says that we may uh, have a problem with, and there are other things you know that we find very agreeable. In particular, you know, some of his positions on drugs and 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 uh, and others. Um, so let's let so let me quickly say the left and the right. So we've said this: the left and right are effectively liberal, yeah. and they're just different types of liberal. Because what's going on there, and I, I'm going to cut through this. What's going on there is that as the years go on, uh, different strands of liberals they focus on different aspects of liberalism. See, liberalism is a broad church, and because there's no central uh, authority, or there's no ishtihad, you know, or, or process by which. Uh, you derive the rulings from the text. So Muslims, Islam has this very meticulous process which uh, disables someone from producing a view which is way beyond uh, what is orthodoxy in Islam, you know, way beyond the acceptable remits, the red lines that Islam sets. Well, liberalism doesn't really have that. And so as the years go on, uh, liberals, they devise or they focus on different aspects of liberalism uh, uh, to the exclusion of other aspects. And uh, that is what we've seen. Uh, and that's an interesting phenomenon that I think we need to uh, think about more. Now, uh, I want to focus on liberal multiculturalism and and how we as Muslims interact with the liberal state. Now, I've got a picture here which mm. did the rounds a few years back. Great picture. Uh, you know, some now some uh, traditional Muslims are going to say, "Well, why have I chosen to have this? You know, this lady with you know and uh, without hijab on the picture? Well, she isn't. It's a man. You know, it's a drag queen, um, and uh, it's a picture that a lot of liberals. It, it's on a New York subway, and I think the the picture was basically um, uh, sent around to, you know, in a positive way to say, look, this is where we've come to in in you know the, the great liberal society where we can have." Uh, a, a multiplicity of uh, of moral positions, and you know they they tend to sort of uh, uh, live together in in this melting pot that we call America or New York. Now, progressives in particular endorse uh, what the position or what bec has become known as a politics of recognition. Uh, if you want to read about this, Will Kimlicker is a liberal multiculturalist, and uh, he argues that the state shouldn't only tolerate minorities, whether those minorities are cultural groups, religious groups, or positions like LGBTQ, but rather they need to acknowledge their existence actively through acts of recognition. Charles Taylor, uh, he developed this idea of acts of recognition. So in other words, the liberal state, uh, and that whether it's a Muslim, whether it's a Hindu, whether it's a, a gay person or a trans person, the liberal state isn't just there to be that neutral arbiter to say, well, OK, fine, as long as no one troubles you, uh, we're going to live and let live. But rather, the liberal state's responsibility is to actively recognize you for who you are and to and to give you uh, to to place you to place your position in society 
uh, with a level of importance, right? And so, for example, um, liberal multiculturalists would say that it's not enough, you know, to uh, to to tolerate Muslims. You've got to actively endorse Muslims by, say, having Eid celebrations in Trafalgar Square or in Piccadilly Circus. That's an active uh, act of recognition. In the same way, to have a pride ceremony or to teach uh, pride in the curriculum or to teach black history, all of that comes out of this concept of liberal multiculturalism, of recognition. Now, by the way, classical liberals would say, well, that's going too far because the, the state the responsibility of the state is to be a neutral arbiter, not to get involved. Everyone has their own version of the good life. The state doesn't say one version is better than another. The state steps back and it only intervenes if someone is prejudicial towards you and wants to take away your rights as an individual, right? So if you believed in Islam and someone wanted to take that away from you, then the police and the law enforcement would stop them from doing so. Um, Modern progressive liberalism goes one step forward and says it's not enough. You have to actually um, uh, actively recognize those cultures and those communities. And if you don't, Hamtramat Council, in effect, enacted a grievous wound when they disallowed the LGBT flag because they, by disallowing the flag, they're disallowing the LGBTQ identity. They've saddled its victims with crippling self-hatred, denying their desires for full self-esteem and stifling a sense of their own authenticity. And I hope I made that clear. Liberal multicultural is about actively recognizing those different minority communities by acts of, 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 as I said, acts of recognition to make them feel comfortable so that the wider society not just acknowledges them, but actively participates in yeah. uh, in creating and developing their identities. Can I push back on this? Some, yeah. some, some might say that this was slightly um, not quite what was going on because you could argue, I think, that, okay, there is this progressive agenda to affirm these identities, the mm. state actively getting involved, but th th that it's not quite equal for all groups. There seems to be a hierarchy, uh, a, a rigid hierarchy of... of um, uh, status. So the LGBTQ um, uh, issue would presumably be at the, the very top of the hierarchy. Yes. How do we know this? Because in this example of this council, uh, that their concerns about the, the flag being taken down, not being put up in the first place, override that of another group of, of uh, uh, minority victims, the Muslims, whose, whose concerns uh, about, you know, the, the, their issues to do with their faith and their religion and their children are completely ignored. Yeah. So I, I think I might disagree with that as, as if there's just a general affirmation of identities as people uh, present them to the state and the state affirms them. There seems to be a privileging of some agendas. The LGBTQ would seem to be a very obvious one. Yeah. And it's not just over, over, over Muslims, but Muslims are ac actively suppressed. And we see yeah. this in a militant way in France, of course, uh, but uh, throughout Europe now, where a lot of, I would say, you, you could correct me because you're the political scientist, a lot of the right-wing po political populist movements, right-wing political populist are actually almost like weaponized liberal secular movements, really, because they often do support gay marriage, often quite Zionist, pro-Zionist, for example, as well, yeah. and they're quite pro all the other things. But what they're really against are Muslims and Islam and yeah. so-called Islamism. and uh, So it, it's not, there's a lot of, 
propaganda here, I would suggest, about the self-presentation of these ideologies, yeah. where the reality and practice, and it's pretty obvious, is actually quite different. And the dangers that we get taken in by the, the way the, the, the progressive ideology articulates itself as if it's an honest broker when it comes to its own ideology. I, I would suggest, or may suggest, actually that's not true. And we know it's not true because <laughs> their actions belie their rhetoric. And there is a hierarchy, so much for equality, so much for diversity. We're dealing with old-fashioned privileging of some groups over others. And the bottom of the pile, I would suggest, very often are Muslims. No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and actually, you know, there's something else going on here. Because, of course, um, the Muslim uh, moral agenda, if we want to call it that, uh, contravenes uh, some of the precepts of liberalism. You know, yeah. they would see it as... This is anti-equality. This is anti-freedom, anti-autonomy, anti-individualism. And so one needs to fight against uh, that Muslim agenda, whereas the, say, the LGBTQ agenda doesn't do that. It, it affirms those liberal values. And, and that's, you know, I, I interviewed Tom Fahini uh, a while back about the liberal yes, state. Right. And, he, mm. you know, he made a fascinating, you know, you've, you've interviewed him on a number of occasions. He made a very good point about how the neutral state is actually a, a fabrication in reality. Uh, the state does favor uh, some groups over others because, of course, uh, the neutral state, the ultimate aim of the neutral state is to create good liberals, is to create a type of society that displays liberal values. And by the way, Will Kimlicker, who is, you know, this liberal uh, multiculturalist, he's under no illusion that that is the end result of the liberal state. Mm -hmm. um, Bhikkhu Parekh, who's a multiculturalist but not a liberal multiculturalist, argues that, you know, the, the real agenda behind liberal multiculturalism is to create good little liberals. Um, it's, it's basically to get cultural communities to feel comfortable in their own skin. And within time, they embrace and adopt uh, the very thick values of liberal society. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, Bikkur Parak is great because he, he, he once said this is liberal narcissism. You know, this is a, a form of, 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 um, of, a, of a liberal agenda that wants to change people rather than to genuinely live side by side with Muslims in an era of tolerance. Um, and, and actually, we can see that when it comes to Muslim representation. You know, a lot of us ask ourselves, we, all, we ask ourselves the question, you know, why is it that we've got such parlous, such problematic Muslim representation? Mm. You know, in the United States, you've got, um, uh, you've got left-leaning uh, congressmen and women uh, who endorse all sorts of very problematic positions and actually work against sometimes the Muslim community. In Britain, we've got right-leaning and left-leaning Muslims. You know, okay, Sajid Javid comes to mind. Okay, I, I suspect he doesn't call himself a Muslim anymore. But nevertheless, you've got Muslims, you've got Muslim-sounding names uh, who endorse extremely problematic positions, whether socially or politically. So the question that comes to mind is, okay, but why? Why do we, and, and, and some Muslims say, by the way, well, maybe we've got to do it better. Maybe we've got to get better Muslim representatives, you know, more devout Muslims. But I, I can tell you, and, you know, I'm not, again, trying to personally attack someone like um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 um, I forgot his name now, uh, Al-Mayer Sadiq Khan. So I'm not fine. trying to, to personally um, defame him, but Sadiq Khan, you know, is a practicing Muslim. In, you know, he is someone who prays regularly. I, I, I was in South London the other day and they say, you know, he regularly attends the Jummah prayer. Uh, he regularly uh, fasts in Ramadan. You know, there was that famous Brexit debate 
where halfway through the debate, he broke his fast by by sipping some water. And, you know, there was gushing praise for how tolerant Britain is to allow and enable a Muslim, a practicing Muslim mayor in one of the most important cities in the world. Well, that's not the case. Liberal multiculturalism comes with its own trade-offs, its quid pro quo. I mean, uh, the idea behind representation is that the only people that will rise to the top are the ones that are willing to make the concessions mm-hmm. to the liberal state and to the liberal ideology. That's the only, you know, that's the, and so there's a structural issue, to use a left-wing term, by the way, but there is a structural issue here, which is that even if you are the most devout Muslim, if you want to get to the highest positions of political power, you have to make trade-offs. And that's the representation that Muslims will get from the liberal state. And by the way, Sadiq Khan's you know, trade-offs have been very problematic. You know, we've, we've talked about the, the social trade-offs that he's made, but actually very little is, is said about some of his political positions, particularly his positions towards uh, Zionism and Israel. Um, you know, back in, uh, back in um, when, he became, uh, when he became mayor, the first thing he did was to court the pro-Israeli groups. In fact, his first meeting was with the then ambassador, to the UK, Mark Regev. Now, Mark Regev made his name as the chief propagandist for the Israeli state. Mm. And, you know, he uh, he justified all sorts of bloodlust that the Netanyahu government uh, conducted against Muslims in the West Bank and and, and in particular Gaza. You know, he's not a a person who has any, an ounce of liking for Muslims or for Palestinians. Yet, you know, Sadiq Khan has cozied up to this person to the point where he's now, you know, Sadiq Khan condemned the boycott movement against Israel. Did he? And um, uh, when people questioned him as to why he had become silent on uh, Palestine, he said that City Hall is not a pulpit for foreign affairs, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I'm not a, it's not here for foreign, I'm not a foreign policy guy. Okay, fine, if you want to take that position. Yet when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, City Hall had the Ukrainian flag all over it. He sent out okay. multiple tweets that were pro-Ukraine and anti-Russian. Yeah. Uh, so wait a minute, there is a cause here, as you quite rightly said, Paul, there is a cause here, which is in line with, with uh, the liberal sensitivities. So that cause is acceptable for, for him to, uh, to mm-hmm. propagate and to embrace. But of course, Inconvenient causes, Muslim causes, uh, are not. I mean, I if you do a, a Google, ser- a, a Twitter search uh, of you know Sadiq Khan and all of the the Muslim causes, you find that he doesn't go there. You know, he's not going to talk about Kashmir anymore. He's not going to talk about Uyghur Muslims. He's not going to talk about Palestine. These are not issues that because there are inconvenient issues for a representative who's got aspirations for higher office. These are inconvenient issues for them. And it's great irony because there's some people on the far right who are, you know, worried about having Muslim politicians, you know, running our cities. But these Muslim yes. politicians are not are not ruling by Islamic values or politics at all. That that they are personally, they may be praying five times a day, going on Hajj, as you say. Yeah. But in terms of their political ideology and the the campaigns and causes they endorse and talk about, they're, they're yeah. indistinguishable from all the other politicians. So it's it's a very a, an ironic criticism. That I think it's just because they're brown. I think or have the label. Yeah. That there's there's no actual substance to the objection at all. Well, sure. I mean, you know, we could talk about Hamza Yusuf in in Scotland, and and again, yeah. he you know his right. positions, and you know about Kate, you know Kate Forbes, who was his. Um, 
competitor in in that SNP leadership election. Well, Kate Forbes was far more yeah. honest. I mean, in fact, she went to a point where she was questioned about whether uh, uh, relations outside of marriage would be acceptable in her worldview, and she said, "No, I, morally, I ca I can't find myself agreeing with that." Right, yeah. which is very rare, by the way, for any Western politician to yeah. say, uh, you know, to to be that that clear about these sorts of matters. Okay, yeah. she did later on uh, resolve from her position when um, the when you know the, the press picked up on it and 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 you know attacked her for it. But nevertheless, you know, she she was very clear that I have these personal mor moral issues. And I, I can't, you know, I can't contravene them, you know, in my public utterances. Well, uh, Hamza Yusuf was ready, was more than ready uh, to to contradict us. Now, of course, you know, to give him benefit of the doubt, he may be doing that because he knows that he's got to make those trade-offs in order to be, uh, in order to have those those political, in order to be in political office um, and to be in high political office as first minister in Scotland. Uh, but I, you know, I personally find that very problematic for for a practicing Muslim to say some of those things that he said. Uh, it, it's really unacceptable. So, what are we confronting as as Muslims? I know I've, I've somewhat. I, I want to bring this back to the original discussion. What are we confronting? Well, the right wing and the left wing are all liberals, and what we're confronting is what uh, John Gray calls the two faces of liberalism, and that is that. There's a left, there is a variety of liberalism that may sound kind and generous and tolerant, but his point is more often, more often than not, it isn't that face that that uh, that holds political office. It's really the face of a more assertive liberalism, a universalist liberalism. Uh, that you know, in his book, Two Faces of Liberalism, by the way, John Gray is just this week published. Uh, a, a book which I have I'm yet to 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 read, but it's it's gained uh, some great reviews uh, okay. on the the liberal. I can't remember. It's 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 a it's a nice title. Le the Leviathans, the modern Leviathans, I think it is. And again, it's a critique okay. of liberalism. And is it John Gray is a great writer and actually very succinct in his uh, in his uh, written style. So we're confronting this universalist liberalism, whether it's the right or the left. They both embrace this universal liberalism. They just pick on different aspects of liberalism uh, as sticks to beat the Muslim community with. We should have learned this lesson a long time ago with the French Revolution, which was all about liberty and freedom and so on. Mm. And within a year or so, it, it, it actually the word terrorism and terrorists were actually coined to describe uh, mm. what the French did and during the reign of terror, when they literally, mm. in the name of freedom and liberty, executed tens of thousands of people it became it became a brutal terrorist state um so liberalism has a dark side to it it's, it 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 always has that's my point it's not just like oh look at these recent developments it's always had this uh good and evil kind of two faces as you as you put it absolutely i mean think about you know the the, the so-called great liberal tony blair and mm. his invasions you know across the middle east and the way he justified those invasions yeah. it was all uh, you know the the uh, justification was liberal interventionism was humanitarian intervention was human rights these are liberal precepts that is using uh to justify you know horrible wars um uh in you know the, the greater muslim world mm -hmm. so my last point really is that um uh if the left and the right endorse positions political social moral uh, economic positions that we 
may find troubling and maybe there are some overlaps, but more often than not, we find very troubling. Uh, should we really, uh, you know, uh, embrace the right or the left? And, you know, unfortunately, and, and I, you know, without um, focusing too much on my American Muslim brothers, I, I do feel that American Muslims sometimes, sometimes, I think it's changing now, but sometimes they, uh, they show a, a political naivety, and I hope that's not too harsh. Um, you know, when, um, when, for example, when uh, George uh, Bush Jr., George W. Bush, uh, was fighting for, for for political office, was contesting elections, I remember, in 2000, uh, American Muslims said that we must vote for George Bush because the Clinton era was very immoral, socially immoral. Uh, so we must now must now vote for George Bush uh, Jr. And of course, within a year, he starts this this this, this crusade against uh, the Muslim world. And 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 uh, and of course, the Iraq War was a disastrous war uh, against Muslims. And so, you know, after that period, Muslims in America said we must embrace, you know, Barack Obama because Barack Obama and uh, is going to show, you know, these left-leaning liberals have been far more kinder to Muslims. So let's vote for Barack Obama. And then Barack Obama, you know, again, has a very repulsive, problematic foreign policy uh, uh, against Muslims. But also that's where we see the rollout of a lot of these very problematic social programs in, in schools across, across mm. America. Um, so we have to move away from this left-right duopoly. And my discussions with Muslim leaders um, across the West has made me realize that there is now an appetite to for political independence. Um, mm. And the securitized straitjacket of the war on terror has now dissipated. And, and so we're carving out a space that I think is more authentic and more principled. And so we're becoming more wearier of the demands of the left and the right. Um, now, of course, there are some people who remain you know, politically naive and will jump into any political uh, bandwagon in order to to find some short-term political gains. But I, I don't think that's the trend. In fact, I think that what we're seeing, you know, these demonstrations and protests that we're seeing are actually a sign of a maturity within the Muslim community. And one shouldn't, if, you're, if a non-Muslim is watching this, this show, they shouldn't observe those trends through the prism of the left-right culture wars. That's not what's happening here. These are authentic Muslim activists and scholars and thinkers who are now taking very uh, independent, uh, an independent stand um, uh, and, and endorsing, uh, which I would, I, I call, you know, uh, authentic Muslim positions. I mean, you know, uh, Omar Suleiman, uh, he, uh, uh, Imam Omar Suleiman, you know, he, he mentioned, I think, a very good point about the left and right. He said that uh, this is not a political realignment. Uh, Muslims have been at the receiving end of the animus from both sides for years. One side seemingly wants to annihilate you, and the other side only accepts you if you're willing to assimilate. Now, I know there's people who criticize. Uh, no, I think uh, that's entirely accurate. I mean, I, I yeah. don't want to take sides in this, but uh, uh, yeah. Dr. Omar Suleiman has been perceived, at least, to have been yeah. tracking quite close to the Democrat Party's liberal progressive causes for some yeah. considerable time. And to say that a resistance claim, you know, is not a political realignment, um, some might say that it was, because now mm -hmm. he is reasserting 
particularly on, on the LGBT issue, you know, the traditional Orthodox Sunni Muslim, people perceived that he wasn't before, or at least he was sailing close to the liberal win. So, in fact, it, it would be then a political realignment um, from the way he had expressed his political leans before. Um, you know, I mean, I, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean, look, to, to his credit, I mean, I remember watching a video of his, uh, which he published a few months back, where he said, look, we made mistakes. And, you know, the war on terror was so intense, and it was intense for American Muslims. And they had to make these decisions. Uh, and, you know, it was the left that were defending and protecting Muslims. And I think, I think you know, these people, like, like all Muslims, we've been on a political journey. Let's say that. And, you know, we've mm. we've realized that some of our positions have actually been highly problematic mm. over the years. And and all credit to those Muslims who come out of that, realizing that, you know, the left and the right have got uh, challenging stances that we as Muslims need to be far more critical of. Um, you know, again, equally, Yasser Qadi, I mean, Dr. Yasser Qadi, who, you know, I engage with quite a lot. And uh, my engagement with him has been very positive. And I feel that, you know, he's again, uh, realize and, and come to the, a very similar conclusion to uh, Imam Omar. We are, were tolerated as long as we were a feather in the cap of diversity. But when, it, when we want to enforce our own personal values in our life, we are no longer tolerated. It was all a facade. It was all a facade. I think that's an important point. It is a facade that we, we, yeah. we often get taken in by this, you know, the Tony Blair-like smiles and, and yeah. apparent sincerity and the, the liberal values, I, I, I mean, take it at face value as actually authentic and real, but mm -hmm. actually, uh, as uh, Dr. Yazakai said, it was actually a facade. We know it's a facade because of what happened subsequently, the realities of it suggest, and um, you know, who should be surprised? A politician being two-faced, a politician not being quite what he seems. What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what is interesting, I mean, I saw that, I, again, with American Muslims, I mean, Imam, and again, you know, I'm, I know you, you, uh, invite uh, Imam Tom Fakini on your show on, on a number of occasions. Um, uh, you've invited him on a number of occasions, but it's interesting. Like you know, there are there are there is a generation of Muslim scholars who are who are um, you know who are uh, uh, arriving who are far more savvy. I, I think uh, when it comes to political, and I think partly because he's got a political science background. Yeah, uh, but. Um, you know, they realize these pitfalls and, and you know, they are more active in uh, in explaining uh, what's happening in wider society to 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 young Muslims in particular. Um, just to run through this, you know, very quickly, I've, uh, only a couple of slides left. You know, I, I've spoken to a number. I mean, I've got a quote here from Imam Fakini who says, you know, the the uh, the analysis of the liberal state, it, it, it attempts to secularize the Muslim community under the guise of toleration, liberalism presents itself as a neutral arbiter to the claims of what is a good life. But instead, it endorses a universalism that seeks to dilute comprehensive doctrines like Islam. Um, I love that quote. It's a really succinct. You know, it expresses exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and it's what your comment, you know, Islam is a comprehensive doctrine. We believe in things. We've got values. We've we've got Sharia. We've got we've got thick values, and and these values sometimes are contested uh, in the public space by liberals because they find these values to be uh, repulsive and problematic and challenging, and so inevitably um, the liberal state will chip away at Muslims. Now, of course, the French liberal state tries to do that by very assertive 
programs of banning the niqab and banning you know be a buyer in schools and by that they think they can they can create and uh, envelop the muslim community in fear so that muslims would have to willingly negotiate with the liberal state and make concessions oh, although i agree with that it's actually a lot more the french state is explicit in trying to create what they call french islam mm. uh, and they, they have certain imams who on the yeah. payroll who advocate this so they're not even pretending just to <laughs> right. uh, you know they actually say no we will now create a different religion for you to believe in yeah. uh, a privatized secularized liberalized remarkably similar actually to what they've done to the catholics um yeah. but that is explicit they're not even pretending not to do that um macron and others have been saying this for some time so uh you know the, the muslims there can't you know except the delusion it's just a benign neutrality that they are actually out to change the religion itself and there's the irony here because one of the values of the republic allegedly is freedom of religion religious mm. freedom but that but that value has almost completely disappeared now there is no freedom uh, if if you go against this progressive uh, secularizing liberal state that wants to change your faith there's no yeah. freedom then yeah that's good and you know equally the the position of, say, America or Canada and the UK may sound, may look uh, f uh, far more comfortable for them, or may look like, uh, you know, to Muslims to be uh, far more kinder towards the Muslim community. But there is, as I said, you know, previously, Kimlicker's view is that liberal multiculturalism, unlike the French view, which is, you know, assimilation, liberal multiculturalism has a very similar end goal. Yeah. Uh, it is to create a privatized, yeah. secularized yeah. community that embraces the fake values of liberalism, but through gradual a gradual process and over a, a you know a series of negotiations with the liberal state um yeah just like okay great so so yeah you've got you know and, and I, I i would particularly uh ask your viewers to watch that interview with tom fakin because i think it was a fantastic yeah, uh, explanation of liberalism um uh yeah both the conservatives and liberal demand concessions from the muslim community but they differ on the criteria of what of what a good muslim should look like again a very nice quote um, so, you know, I've, I spoke to um, uh, Joseph Kaminsky, actually sent out a really great tweet um, on, on his Twitter mm. uh, after that Wajahad Ali uh, article where he said, you know, that this was a false binary. The idea is to guilt people into thinking that if they uh, support traditional Islamic gender norms, by default, they are Trumpers. Yeah. And so if you are if you're someone who believes in Islam, you're somehow a Trumper. And that's that's just, you know, not not the reality. I spoke to Mubeen Vaid, in fact, um, when I wrote that article in, in Muslim Matters. And, you know, I asked him about the alliance between Muslims and Christian groups in, in, in uh, Michigan, which, yeah. by the way, he was, you know, he was a, a, a leader. He was a, one of the leaders on the ground. And, and um, did that alliance, because the way that the press, uh, they interpreted that was, yeah, here we go, Muslims are being sucked in by the evangelicals. And, you know, his response was, well, that actually wasn't the case. These were largely Ethiopian Christians who were uh, who were not a right wing group. They probably vote le the left most of the time. They probably vote Democrats, as most ethnic minorities do uh, in America. Um, so there wasn't this Republican plot that the media characterized those demonstrations with. Um, I interviewed Azam Tamimi, and he made a very good point about where Muslims began to realize that the left were not just there to help us in our uh, in our quest to uh, to um, uh, to you know to, to to deal with some of the war and terror uh, the challenges that came up the war and terror. Azam, Dr. Azam Tamimi, who was of course in the UK, was instrumental 
he was one of the leaders of the 2003 demonstrations against the Iraq war, where many of the trade unionists and the left movements, the Stop the War Coalition, uh, united with the Muslim community. In fact, a large number of those who came out to demonstrate were Muslims um, uh, in 2003. And, you know, he, he was very candid about that period, actually, with me. Uh, he said that, look, we did embrace the left, but the Arab Spring was the turning point because the left failed to see that the people of Syria and Libya were genuinely rising up against the dictatorship. The left characterized the Arab Spring as a as a uh, uh, as an uh, a, a, a imperialist uh, movement, and they characterized that host situation as as Western imperialism. The, you know, Assad, in other words, was anti-imperialism. Saddam Hussein was anti. Sorry, not Saddam Hussein was anti-imperialism, and uh, and and um, uh, and the the movements against these dictators were actually paid by Western imperialists. In the same way, by the way, the left today they deny the Uyghur cultural genocide because they they argue that uh, <coughs> Uyghur Muslims are being utilized by the uh, by the right uh, by the or by the the, the liberal uh, the liberal right uh, in order to cast. You know, uh, to to cast the Chinese as uh, as enemies of of the West, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, there is a political maturity that has developed in the Muslim community. Marzen Beck said something very similar about the catalyst was the Syria conflict, and later what happened in China, in in East Turkestan, in in uh, with the Uyghurs. The left were too ready to embrace an anti-imperialist narrative and thus denied the genocide and mass repression. Mm. Um, what I found after speaking to so many Muslims is uh, Muslims have woken up to this left-wing duopoly, the problems of the left and the right, and are now moving beyond that. Um, so how are they moving beyond that? Well, we've got a completely different framework of thinking beyond the left-right political spectrum. When I, when I give my course, uh, Islam and Liberalism, I often ask a question to Muslims, like where I, I lay out the left-right political spectrum, and I say to them, "Where do you fit on that spectrum?" And of course, naturally, many young Muslims are going to say, "Well, I, I'm more left." And you know, you can take tests today which say whether you're more left-wing or more right-wing, or whether you're more centrist. And my by the end of the course, I, I you know, they realise that we actually fit nowhere on that spectrum because we've got a, a completely different ide ideational. Uh, Outlook that uh, that um, uh, that uh, enables Muslims to look at positions or look at political, social, economic, moral <laughs> positions from a completely different framework. But so it often, is important to, yeah. to restate that to have a different different take on what you said. There, yeah. it's not that we're neither right or left, but that Muslims find uh, uh, aspects uh, and policies and principles in the right and left they agree with. So uh, the, the the right the traditional right emphasis on family values and and, mm. and, and so on is something mm. that Muslims can say yeah we're right wing to the extent that that is a right wing value uh, but also on the left because we believe in social justice we believe in uh, and so on as well so it's not that we're neither but we're both but but not ideologically I suppose Islam is not ideologically derived from right and left it has its mm. own independent position based on mm. the Quran the Sunnah and the Sharia but mm. it does actually finds itself affirming positions across the board, if you see what I mean. Would that, would right, that you know, yeah, no, you're right. And I I remember, as you were saying that, the the, the quote, the 
the speech of Umar ibn al-Khattab anhum, who said he said that whatever disagrees with Islam is un-Islam, is non-Islam. Yeah. Fine. Whatever agrees with Islam is also non-Islam and Islam, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a good point. You know, just because there may be congruences, there may be agreements, it doesn't mean that we are left-wing or right-wing. Now, of course, I, I, I accept your point. You know, we live in a society, in, in, a, in a world where uh, the vocabulary of the left and the right dominates our, our, our thinking. And so inevitably, in order to find, in order to express ourselves, we, we may end up using that vocabulary. My argument is, let's not use that vocabulary. Let's find a different set of, uh, of words and phrases uh, to characterize what a Muslim is and where a Muslim stands. Uh, and by doing that, by the way, that's a dawah because that shows non-Muslim society that there is something different about these people. There is a there is a, a a quality to them where they 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 may agree, for example, on on social morality. I mean, you know, for example, Peter Hitchens comes to mind. Who you said, you know, and we we agreed. Generally speaking, his positions on drugs and his positions on certain moral themes are, are very are, are very positive. I remember, in fact, he was on the Moral Maze. I think it was a few weeks back. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Moral Maze, where he was asked about what's your position on civil marriages. And he said, look, I have no problem with that, you know, as long as it's marriage. So there are, of course, even for traditional conservatives, there are concessions that he's made with the liberal state. Really? His problem is with, you know, uh, with trans rights and with, so, you know, he, he recognizes that there are some, that there are the, the, the discourse has moved on and we can't fight those battles. Well, Muslims actually are willing to fight those battles. We, we wouldn't accept uh, for our yeah. child to come home and say, you know, yeah. uh, meet my gay boyfriend or girlfriend. That's just what wouldn't be acceptable. Yeah, uh, essentially, I didn't realize Peter Hitchens has said that. Actually, yeah. if you if you had asked me in advance what he would have said, I would have said no. He wouldn't have agreed with that. So, yeah. it, 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 even my my slight admiration for him is diminished because yeah. he has compromised uh, his principle Christian faith to accommodate liberal positions, which normally he wouldn't wish to do. But uh, I think as as a general principle, but he clearly has though. In this case, um, yeah. I think he was on a panel with uh, lots of left-leaning people, and and in a way, he didn't want that to be the focus of, of you know his his critique, and so he he ended up, you know, he ended up being forced into saying that. I suspect after a few after you know a few questions, he ended up saying that. But but nevertheless, even traditional conservatives may find themselves acquiescing with the liberal state now you know we're different we know where our red lines are and you know we as muslims yeah. have a, a firm belief that look islam is the truth it's correct of course we're not you know our, our position doesn't mean that we discriminate here in the west against people who may hold different positions but certainly uh when it comes to ourselves and our family you know we're very clear on what those red lines are and we would teach our children uh the normative islamic positions on on these issues so uh, my second point actually is that the left and the right are going to cynically exploit the Muslim community uh, mm. for short-term political ends. And I think there needs to be political, we need to have political savvy people within the Muslim community, for, for want of a better term, who are able to point out uh, those discrepancies in, in, you know, in their way of thinking. And, and I personally lastly believe that we need to move away beyond, we need to move beyond these left-right labels 
and craft a confident Muslim community that tackles some of our problems. You know, the other day I was invited by some mosque leaders uh, in a part of London uh, to, to talk to them about my views towards how they could be better uh, dealing with some of the challenges that many young Muslims face. And my response to them was, look, uh, if you, you you have to address these challenges, and, and part of addressing these challenges is to address the ideological onslaught many of the young Muslims face. Now, by the way, in that room, I had some, some kickback, and some uh, mosque leaders said, you know, I think you're exaggerating, you know. And luckily, in, it, there were some young uh, Muslims in the room, and, and they, at the end of a the conversation, they put, the, they, had, they put their hands up. And, and you know, it's very brave of them, by the way, because you had these, the great and the good of this community in the room. And they put their hands up and said, no, we agree entirely. You know, you don't know what's happening in our colleges. You don't know what's happening. You know, there could be a, a young Muslim who comes in wearing a hijab and, and after two years leaves with very problematic moral positions uh, because of the indoctrination, for one of a better term, that uh, the education system uh, is heaping on, on those young Muslims. But also just the general... Um, uh, the general cultural um, engagement uh, these young Muslims are having on social media, it's changing their framework of thinking. So what's my point? My point is we do have a host of challenges and the Muslim community have to independently address these challenges. And by the way, many of these challenges are just not going to be embraced by either the left or the right um, because they they just they don't see these as problems uh, uh, mm. for, in in their in their framework of thinking, mm, mm. Um, so I I think we've got to do less of, uh, we, we've got to think less about uh, the the macro politics there I say and start thinking about building good confident community because only then are we going to be a dower to the wider society around us. Um, so Jazakallah. Okay. In fact, Paul, I promised to speak for I think twenty or thirty minutes, and I've gone on. For all, over an hour, and I'm very really sorry yeah, about and, that. And uh, I've been adding fuel to the fire uh, every five <laughs> minutes, uh, so I think the problem, the, the fault is mine if it is a fault. Uh, no, thank you very much. I, I, I think um, I'm reminded that something that Tim Winter said, uh, Abdul Hakim Murad, yeah. perhaps controversially, but I think it might be true. He said the the first generation of Muslim immigrants to the West or Britain, uh, America, came here primarily as economic migrants. Uh, they were looking for a better quality of life, and you know who can blame them for that? I guess, but yeah. that that's not. But that wasn't really a Sharia reason. It's not really to do dawah. And so when they came here to get jobs and build homes and so on. So in, in a sense that, that their children and their grandchildren are now reaping that in that they find themselves in countries which have very little, if any, sympathy for their Islamic faith. And it's a big problem for them. And it's a problem that we have created in, in that we have not come here with the mindset to, historically anyway, to do dawah to safeguard our identities and maybe later maybe now we're playing catch up now mm. but it, but you know um you know that, that that i think historically it kind of makes sense so this, this problem to some extent is of our own making and not perhaps um you know but but yeah maybe i'm not expressed that terribly well but i think that's no no you're right you're you're absolutely right and, and there is some of that for for sure i think um i you know i agree with some of what 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 um abdaki murad says there about you know, the intentions of the early Muslims. But again, we have to recognize that those Muslims also face intense racism and they faced, 
you know, all sorts of discrimination in the workplace. And so they had a host of issues that, alhamdulillah, we, we don't really have to contend with. At least, you know, people of my generation, I, you know, uh, my father came to Britain in, in what, the early 70s. The type of discrimination he faced is not, you know, but, and, and actually they came from societies uh, in the Indian subcontinent, for example, that were ravaged by, by war and colonialism before that. So, you know, there, there is a context to their migration. My father didn't want to move to Britain. You know, I, he he loved India. He loved his little village in India. And, you know, he... Well, probably many, many, many of these people actually came here, but they didn't intend to stay to here back. forever. Yeah. And they wanted to go back, yeah. but they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing. Yeah. Well, for sure. And that, that is the migrant story, right? You know, no one right. really expected, very few expected to bring up children in this country. Yeah. Um, and, then, yeah. And, then, and then finally they are bringing up children and of course in a society that's profoundly unsympathetic not just because of racism because of just generally anti-religious or anti-muslim attitudes uh, and then we wonder why their children are being brainwashed in schools well yeah they would we would be given we have placed them in these places i mean to put it harshly uh, mm -hmm. i don't mean intentionally doing that of course but um so it's an element of we have created this problem ourselves but but you know this is this is life and the you know we have to deal with it and i think yeah. we are, muslims are dealing with it now increasingly better becoming maturer uh, in their responses and learning the lessons that have to be learned and with political commentators and uh, such as yourself uh, helping some you know, insightful analysis of what's going on what needs to be, what needs to change so yeah maybe ultimately it will be a success story inshallah and, and actually there are some very positive you know, um, as as you said, and as Abdulhakim Murad said, in fact, uh, in a talk I listened to of his, where, you know, generally speaking, uh, the the as society gets more darker, mm. and problems, uh, and uh, you know, problems develop in those societies, and you know, mental health problems, and and just uh, you know, as individualism embeds itself, and and uh, non-Muslim society in, in general finds itself. You know, in in this, um, uh, in in a in a very chaotic, uh, in a very chaotic society. In fact, society is mm. absent from many of their lives. Mm. You know, it is still the Muslim community with all of our imperfections mm. uh, that uh, a lot of them turn to. You know, you had Ahmed Dabous uh, from uh, Lewisham Mosque uh, on your show not too long ago, who I also interviewed, and. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing what he's doing and what his community are doing in, in Lewisham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a socio-economically very poor community, yet they see, you know, I think he's, he gave an example of um, Muslims who come out of the mosque and they hug each other and they talk mm. to one another and they hang around and they, they seem to have very jovial conversations with one another and there are black Muslims and white Muslims in Asia and it's it seems to be a very cosmopolitan mosque and, and mm. people are... Are, you know, in a in a in in a society of doom and gloom, people are pretty uh, generous towards one another, and and they, mm. they show very good uh, qualities in in their general lives. Well, that type of community is going to be an invitation to to. Oh others. yeah, I mean, but yeah, he's doing outstanding work, uh, and and that is that is the future of a successful uh, Muslim community, attracting others, doing dawah by its very presence, really, by by its life. Uh, absolutely, mm. no, there there, there are. The, causes for hope uh absolutely in, in the uk and elsewhere yeah, yeah. well thank you very much uh indeed mohammed uh, jalal for your uh very very interesting analysis and i said before i will link to the muslim matters article uh and the Substack link as well and anything else i can think to throw in <laughs> underneath um so, so that people can follow up oh the, the tom the tom uh, imam tom interview uh is worth yeah. 
yeah. on the Thinking Muslim podcast, thank which you. I've seen definitely worth watching that if you haven't already. So um, thank you very much, sir, for your time. Until next time. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.